We are on the cusp of a major social change. Do you feel it? Even if you don't, make no mistake, change is coming, and it is going to be unforgettable. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Hart, and here on Prime Spark, where we work with and on behalf of women over 55, I want to help you find that spark that will ignite your way forward, reflect your gifts to the world, and illuminate your path through this next stage of life. Through these podcast conversations, I hope to inspire you to see how you can make a significant contribution to some of the gnarly problems that are facing us right now. Join me, and together, let's discover our Prime Spark. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. PrimeSpark is designed for women over 55 or close with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of PrimeSpark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Diana Paul, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Anna Y. Paul, an award-winning novelist, was born in Akron, Ohio, and has a PhD in Buddhist studies and a BA in both psychology and philosophy from Northwestern University. Diana is a former Stanford professor in Buddhism with a focus on the role of women and intergenerational families. Things Unsaid is a multiple award-winning novel, a Pushcart nominee, USA Best Book Awards finalist in two categories, and many, many more awards. Her second novel, Deeds Undone, a mystery, continues the narrative of Things Unsaid, but stands on its own. When not writing, Diana creates mixed media art. Her art has been in museums and galleries in California, Hawaii, and Japan. Diana lives in Carmel, California with her husband and calico cat, Mao. Her favorite pastime is visiting her two adult children and playing with her two granddaughters. Welcome, Diana. I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So just in getting started, do you experience getting older? And if so, what is that experience? And if not, why do you think it is that you don't? Well, I am who I am, 76 years old. And so I feel 76, but full of energy. And I guess I would say that I don't really experience getting older. I know I'm getting older. But I don't know what experiencing getting older is. I'm experiencing me at 76. But I would say that in the last year or two, we've lost some dear friends and family. And in that sense, I know I'm getting older and that the horizon is there, so to speak, getting shorter. Yeah, that's one of the things that starts happening more frequently, and that's hard. And I think it's it's the way things are, and it's going to keep happening. And um, the longer we're around, 
Um, the more people we will probably lose along the way. And so it's, but it's hard. Exactly. And I guess we've been fortunate in that we haven't lost anyone until the last two years during the pandemic. And so in that sense, aging or realizing you're getting older was deferred somewhat because we've been fortunate in that all of our friends and family have been so healthy. Yeah, I think that that is, um, that's sort of true for me too. I mean, my, um, my parents are both gone, um, and uh, the good friends that I have lost were um, some time ago. Um, it was a very young death for them, and so um, uh, it's it's more right now. It's more people I know or know of, but not close. So, Diana, um, things unsaid. Everybody, you need to get Diana's Things Unsaid. It is um, an amazing book. It is it is one of the most dysfunctional families I have ever read about, honestly. So, <laughs> tell, us a, tell us a bit about uh, Things Unsaid and how, right. how you wrote it and why you wrote it and what you hope the main message people get. Okay. Well, I've always wanted to be a writer. And I wrote books on Buddhism that got published and were academic books, mainly the history of Buddhism in China and Japan. But I always wanted to take some of those themes and make it into a novel because in Buddhism, aging and perspectives of death are just all threaded through the religion and philosophy. I mean, that's what it is all about, the Four Noble Truths. And one of them is we're going to die, that there's an end to life. So I always wanted to write a novel. And when we retired, we were fortunate enough to retire fairly early at 55. I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do art. I've always wanted to write. Let me try both. And I started off first with the art, doing printmaking and mixed media art. And I met this wonderful group of women artists. We'd get together and talk about art. We'd go see a movie or discuss a book. And we all ended up talking about our families. And all the families were very dysfunctional. And we could tell stories and they were spellbinding stories. And we'd go home and we'd think, I, oh, my family isn't anywhere near like that family. And some of those stories ended up in Things Unsaid. I made this matriarch that was bits and pieces of the mothers from dysfunctional families, some of them similar to mothers that I read about in books. She is and, a horror story all on her own. <laughs> and I love that kind of genre anyway. And so that's what became the major plot of Things Unsaid. How do you deal with a mother who really didn't love you, tried to love you in the best way she could, but it just wasn't very functional. And it wasn't uh, the kind of mother that a child would want or imagine. And that's the story. What um what are some of the main questions you get from people about the book or responses that you get? Well, the first one, of course, is is it modeled after your own family? And that one, I have to say, I took bits and pieces. I think a, a lot of the story is really about my mother talking about her mother. And so then I started thinking about intergenerational parenting. If you did not have a good role model, then how do you form your own role model and break away from that? And so that was one of the main questions. 
And it was one that in my artist group, we all grappled with. We didn't want to turn into our mothers. So what was there that you were going to strive for? So that was one of the first, uh, I would say, challenges in the book is to give the message that, you know, just because you were dealt this hand and this was the family you grew up with doesn't mean that that continues. And so that was the redemptive message I hoped that people would get. Another question I get that was really intriguing in book clubs is um, how the book ends without spoiling it. I had, I thought, pretty clearly delineated what happens to the members of the family. But in some book clubs, I was really surprised with what they thought happened to each member. And that, to me, was really, really fascinating. I still can think of some of those uh, imagined endings, and they would make good novels on their own. So those are the two main questions, I would say. I love it. So uh, we won't talk about the endings because I don't want to ruin it for people. Um, but um, would you say that the uh, strongest character in the book is Jules? Yes, it was meant to be Jules because the message is she grew up in a family where she's trying to return love to uh, parents who really didn't model their family to return love, you know, it wasn't a loving family. And so the message is she's trying to um, give love to her parents, even though she didn't receive it. And then she's realizing that with her own family, she hasn't figured out how to do that in, with the double doom, choosing her parents or her daughter. So she then has to decide, which is it going to be? Can't have both. I want both. So that's the story. It's interesting. I'm in uh, in my membership community. We're reading Sam Horn's book, Talking on Eggshells. I don't know that one. It's good. And it is uh, sort of a manual, basically, for um, how to handle difficult people in difficult conversations, talking on eggshells. Um, and the final, some of the final chapters have to do dealing with bullies, um, dealing with people who um, don't want things to go well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, it's really interesting because basically what she says is walk away. Yes. You know, and that's very difficult to do because of the enabling and the family cycle. And what I, I can't remember which one of my friends said this, but it was a stunning comment. She said, my mother told me she never wanted to be happy. She never wanted to be happy. So since she thought of herself as this miserable human being, everybody around her was going to have to be as miserable or she would not be able to move on. She wouldn't be content in the only way she knew how to be content. And I thought that was a thrillingly twisted uh, personality trait that would be of a narcissist or of a bully. That they, And of course, it's a Buddhist theory too, that uh, it's not a golden rule. You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. 
And that's the Buddhist uh, plan for meditation, to learn how to love yourself. And that's what I wanted to convey in the matriarch in Things Unsaid, that she tried in the only way she knew how, but it was self-defeating and self-destructive. I, I can't even take in the, the sentence that somebody never wanted to be happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember what that reminds me of, Diana. I was at, um, this was years ago now, I was at a an, uh, an HR professional meeting. I used to be in HR. And um, we were talking about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know very little about the Enneagram. But a friend of mine was getting certified, and so I was a guinea pig. I mean, how many guinea pigs how have we been for friends who are getting certified <laughs> in this? And so I was a guinea pig. And so um, it came out, and it said um, the, the thing said I was a seven. I didn't have any idea what that meant. And I read the thing, and I, thought, and I said to her, well, this is true for everybody. And we laughed because I realized then what I'd said, and she thought that was also very funny because I'm looking through my perceptual system and I think everybody's like that. And then I went to this HR meeting and, and the, the, the instructor there divided us into what we thought our categories were and, and had us say a little bit about how we saw the world and so on. And somebody who was a one, two or three or something, I forget what they were, said um, that, they, that they weren't happy that they didn't care if they were happy or some, almost something like that. And I said, I can't, I can't even imagine that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy all the time, basically. I mean, sometimes I'm not, but I mean, sort of generally speaking, I'm happy and I want to be, and I can't, I can't, I can't even take that in. So it was a real learning experience for me to come in contact with somebody who saw the world in that way, 180 degrees from the way I saw it. They were perfectly content to be unhappy yeah amazing so does that go along with narcissism well narcissism um from what i've read i read a lot of books on the narcissistic mother before i wrote things and said to get the psychology of it because my um, training in psychology was so long ago and i knew that there had to be updates and other analysis and there are various kinds of narcissists the narcissists who are constantly seeking for self-gratification and self-love you know, love because they have such high opinions of themselves that they just only want to be around others who validate that. But then there's a narcissist who is uh, so such low self-esteem that they need others to validate that they are worthy. And because they have such low self-esteem, it's a never-ending cycle that they could never be validated. So those were the two that I was trying to play with in uh, Things Unsaid. Right. Well, it is, a, it is, a, it's hard to say it's a wonderful book, but it is, it is, um, it is really a worthwhile book to read. It's, um, it's hard to say, you know, some things that are, that are, that are, um, for me, see, for me, if they're not happy books. <laughs> well, yeah, I I think of, I mean, in a way, some of the books that inspired me to write that were, uh, I love Evan S. Connell, Mrs. Bridge, and Mr. Bridge. And I also love Olive Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout. 
And you wouldn't call those happy books, but you would call them extremely deep analysis yes. of a person's uh, psyche, their psychological, social, and even their physical well-being. Well, I would I would say that about your book. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, That's I what I was going for. Well, you got it. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't pay me in advance to say that. <laughs> Those are the types of books I like to read, actually. I mean, it's books like that. Right now I'm reading Jessman Ward's Sing Unburied Sing. And it's about a little boy who's taking care of his little sister because his parents are just out. And his grandparents are very loving, but one of them's going to be out of the picture soon because she's dying. And it's that kind of story, too. <laughs> um, in a way, I see this pattern. If you come from a dysfunctional family, for you not to continue that cycle and get trapped in it, you almost have to be uh, counter-suggestive. If they say, oh, you can't do that, then you have to say, oh, yes, I can. So there's an opposition pull there. And Maya Angelou, I know, was saying the, the fastest way you can get me to do something is to say I can't do it. And I think of... That's the way you finally get out of that kind of hamster wheel of feeling trapped. Right. Yep. Right. So um, getting back to um, being a woman over 50, what do you think some of the advantages and disadvantages are of being your age? Okay, great. Um Let's start with an advantage and a disadvantage. Uh, start with mentally, psychologically. I would say that at my age now, I've had so many decades of experience that mentally things don't disturb me as much as they would have in my 30s and 40s. I've been over that, done that, you know, been there. So now that similar situations would not give me that kind of stress. So I would say my stress has decreased. That's an advantage. And especially since I retired early, I really got de-stressed and could decompress early. Um, a disadvantage, I would say, is that with uh, being in your 70s, you kind of wonder how long your... Um, mental faculties will be strong. I mean, you've had decades of information gathering and in the sense it's both a positive and a negative because there's just so much information stored. I mean, it's a huge database. And so you can retrieve lots of information that somebody half your age can't because they haven't had those years of living. On the other hand, as you get older, you wonder how long am I gonna be able to retrieve some of that information that I've accumulated over these years? So that would be a disadvantage. So that's why I'm saying mentally, it's both an advantage and a disadvantage intellectually. You can give information to your children that they wouldn't know, you know, but you've lived through it. It could be historically, it could be books you've read, movies, you know, just vast treasure troves of information. Um, emotionally, we already talked about the stress, but I would say emotionally an advantage is at my age, I have more time to devote and be uh, joyful with family and friends. 
I realized that we, we kind of started off with that, you know, uh, feeling your age and realizing family and friends are so precious. I mean, really, what else is there in life? But I would say also that when you're younger, you don't have the memories of family and friends in the same way. Because you're so overwhelmed raising your own family, you don't really realize all the memories you're gathering. You know, I think of memories unintentional, involuntary. And that's what Things Unsaid was about, too. The backstories, the things that you remember. I mean, sometimes when I'm talking with my husband, I'll say, that's just like I only remember four or five events from in my 20s. How is that possible? So what I'm saying is when you're steeped into it emotionally, you don't realize the family and friends and the impact on you of certain events until you're older. So one of the advantages is you treasure those memories that you do have of family and friends from back in your past. But it's also a disadvantage because, whew, there were lots that I don't remember, and I wish I could remember them. So that's the emotional uh, memory-laden one. Uh, physiologically, I would say that in terms of being in my 70s, I'm just grateful my body is doing what it does. You know, I appreciate my body more. I appreciate that here it is. It never asks for any kind of thanks. And there it is, doing my bid and call every day as much as, you know, is possible. And yet when I was younger, I just didn't have that kind, I don't know if it's being a woman, but I didn't have that kind of friendly attitude towards my body. It was, oh, it wasn't muscular enough. It didn't fit the, the skinny model on the magazine covers. And, oh, my hair's not this, my hair's not that. You just complained left and right, especially as a teenager, but also in your 20s. And now, now mm -mm, it is what it is. And I'm grateful it's there. <laughs> so that's an advantage. A disadvantage would be that, you know, you do have your aches and pains getting up stiff. And um, I do yoga every day, but certainly isn't the kind of yoga I could do when I was in my 20s and 30s. But as I said, I'm just grateful my body is doing what it does. And I don't look back and say, oh, I wish I could do yoga like I could when I was in my 20s. What a wonderful <laughs> grouping of disadvantages and advantages. I think that... Um, I love your, your your ideas about the memories because I spoke with somebody not very long ago and what they encourage people to do is interview older family members to make sure we don't lose um, information that will be gone when those people are gone. Um, I think that, that's really uh, an issue, I think, in any family. The family secrets that die with that relative I mean, there are so many, and sometimes that relative might have told one person that secret, but otherwise, if you don't know that one person, you'll never know. Um, one thing that Doug, my husband's uh, brother, did that was such a wonderful Christmas present, he hired somebody at a university to write down the life of Doug's father, okay, of the what would be our children's grandfather, and he came from Russia at a very difficult time during the Russian Revolution. We didn't know a single aspect of that part of his life. And then he, he commissioned this book by this professor. So it was a fascinating 
account of a family member that we wouldn't have known unless they did that project. I wish every one of us could do that, really. It would just be a wonderful gift to our children. I think that's right. And I think that children would have to be at a certain age before they realized what a wonderful gift it was, but they would yeah. realize it at some point. Exactly. Yeah, I think about, um, you know, nothing really, nothing monumental, but I think about every once in a while, I think, I have to remember to ask mother something. Oh, I can't ask mother. Um, but all of the people who have, who had that information are gone. Yes. There's, I don't have anybody to ask. Not, um, right. And it's just gone. And so um, what a wonderful gift that was. I know. I know. I often think that maybe we should uh, commission somebody to do that project. Um, but, you know, it takes a lot of legwork. You'd have to interview uh, the descendants. You know, as you said, those family members are gone but their children might've heard their stories or even the grandchildren. Sometimes the grandchildren hear stories that, you know, their parents don't know. So uh, I love history. I think it would be fun to do that. And I think it also would be a gift for the family and for the legacy of the family. Yeah, I agree. So I think you should do that, Diana. I think that would be <laughs> a wonderful thing to commission. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll give it to... My daughter-in-law is very busy, but she would be very good at reconstructing the history of the family. Sometimes it takes somebody who's not that close in terms of the maybe the DNA, but so close to each member, maybe observes that the family in a much more objective way. Right, right. So what did you, what did you think uh, the, the 60s, 70s, 80s? What did you think it was going to be like when you were in your 20s and 30s? Well, of course, very, very, very old. You couldn't imagine yourself being 60. But I would also say that I hardly knew anyone 70, let alone in their 80s. I mean, really, that was really pushing the envelope of longevity in those days. And my grandmother lived to be 84. And it was like, whoa, this is like the oldest living person on the planet. I was just so shocked that somebody could live to be that age. And she was pretty vital to the very end, too. So um, I would have said, oh, I can't imagine it. It would be so old and so senile. And, oh, what a sad life that must be. That's what I would have imagined in my 20s. Yeah. yeah and I think it's, um, you know, from, from my perspective with the work that I do, I think it's not surprising that we feel that way given what we're shown about what it's like being old. That's true, too. But also, uh, the society's pretty segregated. Except for your own old parents, you're not around a lot of old people. That's right. And I know a situation in which, actually, it was our son-in-law. One of his friends died suddenly in his apartment, and he was barely 40 years old. And our son-in-law, for some reason, was called when the mother couldn't reach her son. And it was a very traumatic experience for somebody barely 40, not just seeing somebody, you know, you know, that's dead on the apartment floor, but facing your own mortality at such a young age and not really understanding that it is possible. And I think that because of the segregation by age and in so many other ways in our society, that we don't think about what an older person's life is really like. 
except our parents. But, you know, parents are parents. You have to go see them once in a while. You know, they're not really that uh, vivid of, uh, what do I say, information. It's just like, oh, it's time to visit the old folks. But in terms of being there as neighbors or really maybe socializing with them or having long conversations with them, no, I don't think people do that. We all uh, find our friends among similar age groups. Um, I think that's right. Do you? Um, you pro- do you know the name Sky Bergman? No. She, you would enjoy this. She did a um, video uh, called "Lives Well Lived," and it is um, on PBS. It's been on PBS. I think it's on Prime Video now. And she interviewed I don't know how many, 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 many much older people. And so she has this video of people who have have lives well lived in, and they're very old. Um, and it's a wonderful video. And I think it's a good video for everybody to see, but particularly young people to see mm-hmm. these older people. But one of the things she does is have um, intergenerational groups so that she has younger people and older people talking to one another. Because mm-hmm. one of the things she and I talked about, she found that many, many, many young people are not around any older people. That's right. That their grandparents are on the other side of the country or on the other side of the world. Um, they may have some contact with their parents' friends, but they're parents' friends, you know? Um, and so, anyways, that, that's what she's doing. And I, I think it's wonderful because I think that the amount that young it's not that all old people are wise but older people simply have more information most of the time and i think it is a loss for both younger people and older people not to have more conversations i think both people lose out you know these experiments in intergenerational living where you know the cost of living is is high and so People are sharing daycare and they're sharing all kinds of other um, types of services with each other. And you see it in the Scandinavian countries, but they're starting to develop those kinds of communities here where the housing would be mixed in terms of age. And that uh, it helps everyone. It helps the families who need the daycare. It helps the older people who get engaged with babies and little children that they don't see much either. If you don't have grandchildren, you don't see little babies and grand- and your grandchildren grow up and then you don't see the babies again. And they're just almost like a little different species. So it's just so much fun to be around them. So there's a lot of pluses in terms of that kind of living. So we don't have much time left, Diana, but tell me in the time we have left, what's next? What is next, including your writing and your art? We didn't talk about your art at all. Okay. In terms of the writing, as you mentioned already, I've got a manuscript for Deeds Undone, which continues with uh, the things unsaid, but it is a livelier uh, mystery of what happens to the, in the opening chapter of Things Unsaid, uh, somebody dies and then it gets picked up in Deeds Undone. How did he die? And so that's the story. And it's got a lot of red herrings. And I love mysteries. So I wanted to write that. That was fun to write. And it's a very different type of writing from the first one. The first one was very psychologically driven and it was character driven. 
This one is more plot driven and you have to put together what could have happened and who are the suspects. So it's almost mathematical. It was a lot of fun to put together those puzzle pieces. So that one, I, I'm looking for an agent and a publisher right now. And then in my art, because I have two very talented little granddaughters who love art, I've been focusing more on art projects that they can do. And so um, watercolor is something that you can travel with pretty easily. And it's going to be a family reunion in January. So I'm bringing watercolors and we're going to do some projects there. But in terms of my own art, I've been experimenting with cyanotype. That's one of my current uh, techniques I'm learning. What is that? Cyanotype is a type of solar printing. You uh, put these particular uh, light-sensitive dyes on materials or paper and either make patterns with a brush or you can take plants and different kinds of botanical and marine life, what, what I'm using, and then you put it on uh, some kind of matrix fabric or paper, and then you expose it to light and you get these fascinating images on them. And so I want to do that and maybe mix it with watercolor or with uh, print oils. Oh, what fun. What is that called again? Cyanotype. Cyanotype. And, yes. And you can see why A-N stands for blue because the, oh, the images okay. are blue. And yeah. it's a very old technique. And the Japanese have a technique techniques similar to that. So I'm kind of mixing in different types of techniques for that. What fun things you're doing in your retirement, Diana. <laughs> Do love retirement. In fact, it's hard for me to remember working. <laughs> I love it so much. Yes, so, it's like the rebirth. Oh. I can imagine that people would want to get in touch with you. And if they do, what, what, how can they do that? Um, they can do it through my blog, my website, unhealedwound.com. The name Unhealed Wound comes from the myths, like Harry Potter and King Arthur. Everyone has a wound, and the heroic journey is to heal. And so I review movies and art, but mainly movies. What is the main character's uh, flaw there? issue their problem and how do they resolve it and redeem themselves so um they can reach me through that because you can contact me through that or you can reach me through my email diana.y.paul at gmail or on my author website dianayypaul.com okay i get a lot of email though so maybe i should try i get about a thousand email per day so they're going to have to figure out which one I might respond to. Oh, Diana. Yeah, they, you might want to try something other than her email. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the website because I have someone helping me with the websites. And so okay. those actually get through to me faster than my own email. I, that's, that sounds like what that sounds like the way to go. That's good. Okay, so um, that's our time today. Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Diana Paul. And don't forget, you can find her many places. But I think the suggestion is Diana 
whypaul.com. And there aren't dots between Diana and Y and Paul, right? Diana Y Paul, P-A-U-L dot com. Yes. Thank you for being with us. Spread tolerance. Yo, thank you, Diana. That was fun. Spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to stay updated, you can head over to my website, primesparkwomen.com and get my free spark guide, seven questions to ignite your spark to help you discover your own spark. See you in the next episode.